Amen to that. We are in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. ask you to stand in our great God's honor as I read from the word. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please speak through your holy word. We are famished. Feed us. In your wondrous name we pray, O God. Amen. Um, Cindy and I watched a great movie this week called Greyhound. Uh, featured Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks wrote the screenplay. It was based on a com naval commander who was taking a fleet of ships through dangerous water during World War II. And this man, I just loved it. He just leaked Jesus. And so I watched that, and uh, it, it, it was great. My, probably my favorite part in the movie. They've used up all of their uh, ammunition... Uh, they're still about, I don't know, less than an hour from air cover. So things are looking really bleak. And they managed with some of their last, I think, you know, their last torpedo or bomb or whatever they shot out there. <laughs> they, they destroyed a sub. But there were two more subs tracking them. And they had to cut off several times through the intercom system of the ship said, the wolf is hungry. The wolf will destroy you. You cannot hide from the wolf. And, of course, you know, uh, the commander, cut that off. You know, this stuff. So here they are. They're out of ammo. These two submarines are moving toward them. Suddenly, they start firing torpedoes. Tom Hanks is the commander he, he gives commands in, in movements of the ship to, you know, to, to steer the ship in certain directions. And while he's standing there, it, it's so great, guys. He says, he will guide me in all my paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him. And in all your ways, he will, he will guide your paths. And, and so, you know, here the ship turns, and this torpedo's like, goes like, well, I'm going to go this way. Goes, just barely missing. Then they turn this way, and the other one goes, just barely missing. Then the third one comes and actually bumps up against the ship, but it doesn't explode, and it goes by. And then the subs are moving in, and here comes an American plane. Yeah! Takes care of those subs. Takes them, you know, takes them out. <laughs> and then they say uh, to Hanks, you know, they come, they, they give him relief. They say on the radio, said, it's time for you to get rest. Oh, no, I can, I can still help. He said, no, you need to rest. 
And then it shows him, I love it, as the movie closes out, he is exhausted, guys. His feet are bleeding from standing on his feet. He hadn't slept in three days. And he gets to uh, his cabin. He, he's getting ready to go to bed, just, you know, thrust himself out there, exhausted. Gets on his knees. And thanks God. Now that's a hero. That, that, that's, that's a hero. It, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that we are not to be unaware of the schemes of the devil. You know what? He is aiming at us, and he wants to take us out. It says the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's good at it. He, it tells us in that same verse, don't let him outwit you. He says <laughs> to not outwit us. That, that means that we do have a responsibility. Um, here's how we fight God, it says in James 4, 7. This is our closing verse. Submit yourselves then to God. Before you start talking about fighting the devil, make sure you first submit to God. Surrender, because that's the only way, guys, that there's any prayer or there's any hope is surrender. Then it says resist and he'll run away. He'll flee from you. All right, I've got to hurry here. i got six things I'm going to fly through. This is like a crash course on the devil. So buckle up, and here we go. First, he's real. Now, there are a lot of people today, well, he's just a figment of the imagination, or he's just something concocted up years ago. But if you look at our text, we see in Luke chapter 10, uh, not the 12, but 70 go out on mission for Jesus. They go to the surrounding villages and then they come back to Christ. And, and, and the scripture says, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Even the demons are subject to us in your name. So it's pretty obvious they didn't think the devil was not real. Evidently, they had encountered demonic forces and the, uh, a literal devil. And what did Jesus say? He said, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. And so logically, when you look at the evil that's around you, I mean, when we look at the good, it says that everything that is good comes from the Father above, every good and perfect gift. So why is evil not also directed by a mind and intelligence? There is an adversary. There's a, it's just common sense that speaks to us. So first, it's just, it's just logical. It's just logical. Secondly, not only is it logical, but it's biblical. I checked out in the scriptures. Satan is used uh, some 47 times. The word means adversary. It means an enemy. 33 times he is described as the devil. Often personal pronouns are used. He is described as the evil one, the wicked one. Even in the book of Revelation, there are two names that mean destroyer. One is in Hebrew. The other one is in Greek. Abaddon and Apollyon. The point of the matter is, is in the Bible. And here's the third and the strongest case of all. Jesus named him. Now, now look, if we say we believe Jesus, but we don't believe the devil, we don't believe what Jesus does told us about the devil. That he's real. That he is out there. In Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower and the seed, it says that some seed was sown in their hearts and that the evil one came and took it away. And remember what was said to Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan has been asking for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. 
but I have prayed for you. Maybe you are his target. You are made in the image of God. You, you, are, you, you are special. You are significant. He wants to take us out because we are called the apple of God's eye. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. That's 1 John 3, 8. He came to save us, but part of that salvation he brings is to destroy the works of the devil. Now, one more. Logically, biblically, experientially, we know that he is real. Uh, little Richard, who was a musician, he came to Christ and he said this. I've used it many times. I just, he said, if you haven't run into the devil yet, the problem probably is you're both running the same direction. Experientially, when you seek to walk with Jesus, you'll bump into him. I have a feeling uh, many of you, well, I know you have. Because when you love Jesus, he doesn't like it. And as we have already discussed, he does not want to be exposed. My dear friend, Grace Smith, is a prison champion, uh, chaplain excuse me, in Kentucky in the middle of the coal fields. I mean, he's so far out, you have to take a road to get to uh, nothing to get to where he is. But uh, anyway, he w I called him the other day. We hadn't been able to talk in a while. How's it going? I said, he said, well, he said, there's a Satanist who is in the prison right now, and he has asked me to bring him a Satanic Bible. And he said, by law, I have to bring him a satanic Bible. Now, I know uh, my God-fearing, uh, Jesus-loving, devil-hating <laughs> friend, if he found him, he might have lost it before it got there. So if anybody's listening uh, from the government that don't like this, uh, I didn't say it. No, <laughs> it's just got too late now, ain't it? I can't even go there. Uh, okay, number two, he is magnificent. You know, we think of him as, as being this really ugly, you know, monster. But the truth of the matter is, he is magnificent and he is glorious. And We want to turn to uh, Ezekiel 28. We're actually looking at a couple of passages. And the second one here is Ezekiel 28. And in Ezekiel 28, it starts out in the scriptures, and it, it's talking about... Uh, Actually, a, a historical figure the, uh, in the kingdom of Tyre. And, uh, but then something happens. Uh, this guy in history is known as Ithabel. <laughs> he was ruthless. He was prideful. God proclaimed judgment upon this guy. But I want you to notice something. Uh, chapter 28, beginning at verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Let me stop there. I don't think that this prince of Tyre was ever in the garden of Eden. Okay? And so I believe that God is making a switcheroo here. 
to lead us to a truth about someone else who was in the Garden of Eden, who at that time slithered, <laughs> slithered a bit. Uh, notice what it says in our text here. You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in glory. Man, he, he was beautiful. He would take your breath away. Magnificent. We're just in awe if, if we saw him. You say, well, wait a minute here. You know, how come this was talking about a historical figure and then it's, it's switched to the devil? You know, does this stuff really occur? Think about, you, you remember Peter? And Jesus is talking about how he is headed toward the cross. And, and uh, Peter says, oh, Lord, I'll be with you no matter what happens. You can count on me, Lord. I'll never let you down. And he says, and I will soon head to the cross. Peter says, no. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Well, what happened? Th there was an, an encounter that was actually happening with Jesus and the disciples, with Peter. But, but suddenly, Jesus recognized the true source of the encounter that was behind the answer of Simon Peter. And it was the devil himself. So, so there was a switcheroo that was there as well. Um, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Verse 14 he says, you were the anointed cherub that covers. A cherub was an angel. As I studied a little bit, I found out that uh, one of the key jobs of a cherub was to guard zealously the glory of God. And so he was this magnificent cherub, the cherubs of cherubs, uh, the, the number one guy who guard, to guard zealously God, worshiping God, and that all of heaven and, and, and creation and the created ones the angels would have their hearts and minds set on worshiping God. So here's the third one. He made the stupidest choice ever. Okay? So now think about this. He is in a prime position. He is the number one of all created beings. And his job is simply to do what comes natural, bring glory to God. And to worship Him. And, and to lead in that. But something happened within him that caused him to fall like lightning from heaven. Listen, here's, here's the third passage. This is from Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cast down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Uh, Lucifer means son of the morning, star of the morning, uh, shining one. So here he was, this cherub, this glorious angel that was in heaven. He was thrust out of heaven. Now, let me just take a moment here. I'm going to say, you know, angels, we don't know a lot of the names of the angels. Uh, just a few. We got uh, Gabriel. Um, man, I know these. I don't know why I'm even having to look at some of these. Michael. These are, okay. And I could go on, but, I, you know, our God, he knows everything. He knows not just the, those few names we know. He knows all the names of the angels in heaven. I do not think he looks at an angel and says, uh, good to see you today, number 1,650,016. No. He knew the name of his created ones. He knew the names of the angels. In Isaiah 14, 13, first part, for you said in your heart, this is what 
the devil said in his heart. He was puffed up with pride. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. As a matter of fact, look in that verse 13. The essence of sin is there. It's in this phrase, I will. Look at verse 13 in the NIV. It says, I will ascend. What did he say? He was the number one created being. There was only one that stood in his way. The uncreated one. The creator of all. And he said, I'm going to ascend above even him. That's where his heart went. Then he said, I will raise my throne. He said, I'm going to create a throne that is above the very throne of heaven. And then he says, I will sit in throne. And then I'll be in charge. I'll be the one that will be in command. Look at verse 15. He says, you shall be brought down to the lowest depths of the pit. In other words, you're going to hell. When he said, I want to ascend into heaven, judgment came from his pride. Um, when that happened, Lucifer became Satan, our enemy, our adversary that was thrust. Um, and we know one day he'll be locked up. He'll be thrust into the, uh, uh, the dungeon uh, at, the, at the end of Revelation. We see that. Uh, so he made the stupidest choice of all. What, a, what about us? What, guys, where are you? Who, who are you really following? Too often we play church, but who are you really listening to? Um, look, I'm not trying to play the Holy Spirit. I screw up as much as any of you, and at times I give in to temptation. But we must continually ask ourselves, where does our allegiance really lie? Where does our allegiance really lie? Number four, uh, the devil's not the opposite of God. Many have bought into this lie that you got God who's the ultimate good and the devil who's the, the ultimate bad and they're like gods who are in conflict. But he is the ultimate creation. He's not creator. There's a vast difference between the two. And I love what the 70 said in Luke 10 that we looked at. Remember he said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Remember, Job, uh, the devil wanted to attack him. He had to get permission. And remember in the New Testament, when the possessed man um, wanted permission to go into the swine to be set free. Jesus is even in charge of all of that, guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, remember the thorn that was in Paul's flesh. It says, Paul said, the thorn that was given to me, uh, in verse 7, it says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. So God even allowed that to get through for His divine purpose that we cannot fully understand. The devil is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He's got demons that do his bidding, that watch us. He's really good at watching and really good in discovering our what we are tempted by and our weaknesses. He, he knows that. He's, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He cannot read our minds. He's not the opposite of God. He's not equal to God. All right, a fifth one. He's highly organized. Highly organized. Um, in Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, it gives a prophecy. It speaks about the dragon and its tail, and a third of the stars were flung down to the earth, which many 
believe that means a third of the angels that were thrust down. Sometimes we get so bent out of shape. The devil's after me and no escaping the devil. I, I can't defeat the devil. I can't run. Now listen, if a third was thrust down, what does that mean? It means there's two-thirds on God's side. So who's got more? God. And we need to remember that. Uh, in John 12, 14, 16, he's described as the ruler of this world. In Ephesians 2, he's described as the prince of the power of the air. As a matter of fact, in Colossians 1 and Ephesians 6, he's described uh, the order of his armies. Uh, they're organized uh, against us. Uh, listen, this is from uh, Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's organized. This is not haphazard evil. One final act I mention here. He has an agenda. He has an agenda that he wants to follow. He wants to take us down. Listen to 1 John 5.19. We know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. <laughs> As Peter said, you know, he's like a roaring lion looking for who he'll devour, he'll take down. The military, uh, when they're in action... They have what they call HVTs, which is high-value targets. And I just want to mention several high-value targets that he's after, our enemy. First, Jesus. Man, if there's any way to take Jesus out, he was on it. Of course, he discovered there's not. Second, the angels. He still ticked off with the two-thirds that stayed. He wanted them to come with him. He wants to take those guys out. That, that is part of his desire. Third, the nation of Israel. God set aside Israel. Here, here's a verse I want to share with you. This is Isaiah 42, 6. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. Now, now this is Israel. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. So the purpose of Israel was twofold. First, a covenant for the people. What does that mean? They were called to show people how to live. Secondly, they were to be a light for the Gentiles. What does that mean? They were called to show others how they should live. Outside of Israel. God had a, had a heart, not just for that one nation, but for all nations, and he would use that nation to be a covenant and to be a light. All right, number four, unbelievers. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. He wants them to stay in the dark. He doesn't want them to come to salvation. He wants them to stay in their misery because it brings him joy. Unbelievers, high target. Number five, last one here. Believers who are walking with Jesus. Believers who are making an impact. Oh, he's happy with believers who are doing their thing and not taking any time to surrender to Jesus each morning. He's, he's happy with, with believers who are not connected in a vital relationship with Christ. 
That's not who he's after. He's after people who do want to do God's will, who want to know Christ, who, who want to be used by the Spirit of God. Hey, I, I got a call earlier, uh, well, I guess it was about Wednesday, and it was uh, from Joe, who uh, is in charge of abortion alternatives. And, and you guys know, I have not been, I don't even want to use the word worried, I just felt defeated in regard to the fact that it looks to me like abortion facilities. He, this, uh, there was a young man that came, is why I'm telling you all this. He invited pastors to come and hear him, he was from Texas. This guy came, and man, I just loved to hear, I mean, he he was just speaking Jesus stuff, and it just got me happy. You know, I just loved it. And so he had, this guy had told me, you know, there's been all this trouble uh, across our land that when people want to stop, and he, he called them abortion facilities, got me thinking, instead of clinics, because a clinic is to heal people. So no, I don't call that a place of healing. So he calls it, so I'm going to start calling abortion facilities. I'll steal that from him. I kind of like that, okay? So anyway, this young man, he started to talk, and uh, he got a heart for this issue because what would happen, the abortion facilities, they would just say, we're going to sue you. They'd get their way. They'd just keep doing what they wanted, scare people to death. So this guy, he, he got a heart. He began to study, began looking through ordinances and laws, and then he became a friend with a guy who's presented several cases before the Supreme Court. So anyway, through their study, they came up with this ordinance, and uh, he handed us a sheet of paper. He said, we have been in 65 small cities in two counties and never lost. And he said, I'm in Bristol now. That should make you happy. See? So anyway, he... he <laughs> He told us, he said, I've already presented to the council, town council, this ordinance, and we're going to meet, we're going to talk. And I, I asked him, I said, well, how long does this thing last? He said, I've seen it last as little as three days and as long as three years. So I don't have an answer for, for how long. But what he did say is it is vital for the church to show up. So I'm going to be, when I find out more in coming days, I mean, Guys, we need to be plugged in. How can we seriously talk about eternal life and talk about Jesus if we're not willing to protect babies? I, it's just... I need to get off of this. I, that's another sermon. But All right, I, I want to close out. I've been talking about the evil one seeking to expose him. I want to close by exalting him. Okay? Um... I'm just going to read what I wrote here. Fortunately, our Heavenly Father was not blindsided by the slithering deceiver. Not long after the forbidden fruit was chomped on by the first couple, God prophesied. This is a Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What a prophecy. Notice it doesn't mention uh, the man. It mentions the woman. Why is that? Because the prophecy would be fulfilled not through the seed of a man, but through the faithfulness of a woman as the Holy Spirit would come upon her. In, in Luke chapter 1, um, the angel comes to Mary. This is verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son. 
and you are to call him Jesus. I love verse 33. It says, and his kingdom will never end. And this battle has been going on. Satan's been trying to get rid of Jesus, but Jesus came and Jesus won. And we are just waiting (laughs) for that victory to be fulfilled in all of creation. And in this in-between time, Satan is here. He's alive. He's working. Uh, More that I wrote here. Satan's on a long leash with a tight collar. God is holding on to the other end of the leash. He only only lets the devil go so far. Sometimes the bark is loud and the snarl is frightening. But understand, our God is in control. Satan has an ultimate weakness. There is a redeemer (laughs) who is ready to heal the deep hurts that Satan has inflicted. Listen to Hebrews 2.14. This is from the New Living Translation. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son of God also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying, check this out, could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. You with me? Think about this. The one who is immortal put on flesh and became mortal. Why? Because it's the only way he could die. And why did he have to die? Because it was the only way to break the power of sin and to destroy the work of the devil. And what I'm trying to say so passionately, we've been talking about the enemy most of this time that I have preached, but I don't want to close there because there is victory in Jesus. And and may we not leave here afraid of him or, or walking as if we are defeated and that there is no hope for what is before us and, and, and what has got us down. But may we live in the victory that comes in the one who has destroyed the power of our enemy and ultimately even the power of death. And so I'm going to close, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to leave God to what he wants to do with us, okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I do feel you have spoken through your word. May we now respond to that word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.